It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com's our main website, and we have a special thing on there, Clark.com slash Clark Stinks, for when you feel that I have not done a good job serving you, you feel like I've given incomplete information, bad advice, whatever. And coming up later, we're going to have our on-air edition of Clark Stinks, where you can hear ways that people feel that I have not delivered for you. Something that people are deciding is not delivering for them are smart speakers in the home. They were immensely popular just months ago. I mean, just according to a survey that was reported in Barron's magazine, if you go back just five months ago, roughly 40% of Americans had a smart speaker activated in their home. And that's uh, the biggest market share is Alexa, then the Google Home, and then Apple has one, but it's really not caught on the market. So it's really been a two-horse race with Alexa way in the lead and Google pretty far behind them with their Google Home devices. And today, and this is unreal how quickly this has declined, now only one in four people are using them. One in four households. So people who had them working and using them earlier this year, they're out. Now, nobody really knows why. I have some theories. I think one of the most important things was the information that came out about how Amazon did not have good privacy protections in place for theirs and was actually allowing employees to listen to people's private conversations when people weren't even inquiring from the Echo speakers. And that is absolutely dumb. Because Americans are generally not privacy freaks. A lot of people elsewhere in the world, especially in Europe, are really into privacy. But if you push people too far and people being worried about somebody listening in I mean, my recommendation when that came out was I said, make sure you don't have any of these installed in your bedroom because you don't want Amazon employees listening in to what's going on in your bedroom. The response from from Amazon after that was pitiful as far as what they had for a privacy policy, how they were protecting you. And I think think that um, shook people's confidence. And that seems to be the thing with privacy is people are not really privacy conscious till something slaps them around. Now, we had, uh, you may remember, because I talked about on the air when we were doing it, we did a family focus group of one family where we installed uh, two Echo devices and two Google Home devices in our home. And my family, which is, it was a great test group because they're Apple everything, they overwhelmingly gravitated to the Google Home device. And we still have uh, one, two, three. We have five of them in our house. And we've really integrated them in with 
tell, having him play music and asking him questions and looking at, you know, when I am in, the, in my bathroom getting ready in the morning, I have it. I've got one with the screen and I'll ask it my route to wherever I'm going, if I'm going to a TV shoot or whatever, and it'll lay it out for me, you know, right now, moderate traffic, these many minutes, or heavy traffic, that many. Um, earlier today, it gave me the bad news I was going to be late to my location for TV. I should have asked it earlier. There was nothing I could do. I just was late. And Joel, in your family, you have how many Echo devices? We have... Three, I believe, yeah. And the best thing for us is just being able to play music and not having to mess with our phones or anything to do it. And I think probably the worst thing is that it's listening all the time and probably my kids messing with it a lot. So, but you didn't disconnect any of them after that kind of unsettling story about Amazon. I haven't, but I feel like I'm kind of on the edge and I'm waiting for something to tip me towards getting rid of it in my life. But you've loved having them. It's nice. It really is for convenience sake, but I feel, but I do think the privacy things, they do concern me. And then also just seeing the kind of the way my kids interact with it. I don't love it. Uh, and so, yeah, part of that makes me think about ditching it. You know, what's fascinating, this is completely off topic, but I think about your young kids and anybody else's young kids, how they can have a tablet handed to them from a very young age, and they somehow instantly know what to do with it. I mean, when you talk about digital natives, your kids are classic, and pretty soon, your oldest is how old? Almost six. So I think it's about another year before you go to her for technical support. <laughs> I think you're probably right. With your electronics in your house. Molly is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Molly. Hello, how are you? Great, thank you, Molly. So you're calling to do something nice for your mom, is that right? Well, I'm trying. I'm trying. Um, she currently has a smaller SUV, a very, very reliable 2014 SUV. Um, it only has about 50,000 miles on it, new tires, new battery. She has had it for three years. And she is, my mom is 85. She is um, a regular daily driver. She is a, a good driver. Um, and she's in great health. And she's So your mom is getting... the only 85-year-old driver who's a good driver at that age. <laughs> Well, she says that she's good, and I've been with her in the car, and, um, you know, we live in a pretty urban area. She just avoids the, the interstate, so. So I'll tell you a story about my family and someone who's now deceased, but none of us ever wanted to ride with that person in the car past 78. They just, they just couldn't do it. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, I found it interesting when she went in for her driver's license at 84 to renew her license. They renewed it for seven more years. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, I yeah. think it's cool that, that her state has now decided that she's living at least to 92. <laughs> we agree. We Do they offer a guarantee one. on that at the state? or? <laughs> Oh, well, with our cold winters, you know, nobody really likes to get out and drive all that much anyway. But um, so here's our big question. She wants to get a different car. And when I asked her why, she said she wants to get something with more safety features. So she's looking at um, either leasing a car, which I have never done. We've always purchased 
three years old plus vehicles and we're familiar with with that or should she look at purchasing something that's three or four years old so the vehicle she's got is only five model years old right that's correct so buying something that's three years old unless it specifically has a big safety suite of features in it is likely not to have uh, appreciably more safety than what she's got now now the safety features that would be great for her the one that has the greatest impact on reducing accidents is automatic emergency braking which her 2014 would not have she might be able to find that on a 2017 model year used vehicle she might have to go 2018 to find that at that okay uh, but that is very valuable it reduces rear impact collisions by 50 percent wow okay the other things that are really useful uh, lane departure warnings especially um what cold weather climate do you live in we're in wisconsin all right so that's really helpful during uh if the system's able to detect during snow flurries that kind of thing the lane departure warnings really great some of the systems will actually keep you in the lane while you drive automatically and then the blind spot warnings those are the things that can have those types of devices are the ones that getting a newer vehicle may be useful what about leasing would that be a a good option if we get rid of her vehicle she would have a pool of cash of about 15 or sixteen thousand dollars yeah um and she's willing to lease but we i've always stayed away from that all right so here's the the here's the the potential uh, i'm gonna have to just be straight out with you here okay the the downside with leasing at her age is if she reaches a point during the lease that she shouldn't be driving anymore or she sadly passes away the obligation to the lease continues oh wow okay so that's number one uh, something to consider but the idea of leasing because she she may after uh, let's say a two or three year lease she may say okay i'm not going to drive anymore you know the end of this lease i'm going to turn my keys in then (laughs) leasing would be you know it'd be a set time period you'd know a set amount of money but it is going to be an obligation that has to be met regardless got it excellent this is super helpful she was very excited to know i was talking to you about this today so i will hang up with you and i will call her and she will be thrilled and you tell her i said congratulations that it must be something to be the best 85 year old driver in america (laughs) because thank you because i'm told i'm not a good driver already (laughs) i'm much 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 younger than that so uh, what can i do i get distracted i get my thoughts all right kevin's with us on the clark howard show hi kevin hey how are you clark great thank you kevin you got some old stuff you'd like to clear out what kind of old stuff so i had a credit card that i was not able to pay off at the time and so they sold it off to a debt company um and my credit rating has meanwhile gone from a 601 last year up to a 729 this year um even with that on it so i was 
wanting to get your advice on whether you think it's even worth paying because my understanding is even if you pay off that debt since it was charged off, you don't get credit for actually paying off the debt. You only get credit for paying off uh, the amount that you're paying back to the company that now owns the debt. So I don't know. I wanted to ask yeah, you what so, your opinion was so on that. How old is this credit card? This it's like debt. seven years. Seven, it's ex- maybe even longer than that, eight or nine years. Okay. Well, first of all, if it is that old, even if it was turned over to a collection agency, it's not allowed to be on your credit report. Oh, maybe that's why it's up to 729 now. That very well may be, because at seven years, it has to vanish, even if it's turned over to a collection agency, whatever. And if it's on there, you have the right to challenge it being there just because of aging. Now, if you were to pay them any amount of money against it, and they might say, oh, just send us 20 bucks. In many states, they're able to do what's called refresh the date, and something that now no longer can legally be collected through a judgment or anything like that, they could then immediately go to court as if the debt happened yesterday and get a judgment against you. So it's dangerous oh. for you. It's dangerous for you for on an old debt for you to pay anything on it. Okay. All right. I'm glad that you told me that. So I would get a copy of your credit file. Do you know how to do that for free? I belong to Credit Karma, so I think I can um, get it from them, can I? Yeah, you can look at your credit report, and that is the greatest likelihood of why you would have gone from, you said like 607 to 721 or whatever you said. 729, yep. Okay, so that is probably why that happened, is that item no longer exists. Ken is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Ken. How are you doing? Hey, Clark, how are you and the staff doing today? Great, thank you. Ken, you have a question for me about doing your savings for yourself the most efficient way. Give me some background, if you could. Yeah, that's correct. So uh, currently max my Roth IRA, and then also have a little extra that I can still contribute, and so I've been trying to put to work through my company's Roth 401k, which is through one of your low-cost providers you like. But I live in a state, so I live in Oregon that's uh, fairly high, income tax rate and i plan on a moving to a state that doesn't have a state income tax yeah i mean what are you doing not living on the other side of the river in washington state uh i mean isn't that the perfect plan you live in washington state and then you shop in oregon so that you pay no income tax and then you pay no sales tax Uh, that's exactly the way to do it i just unfortunately got married and the uh, unfortunately no congratulations you got married right (laughs) No, I, I mean, it's just, uh, it's just convenience to live on this side of the river okay. for the time being. All right. <laughs> so how high is Oregon's income tax rate? It's 9% up until you're over 125, and then it's 9.9. Okay, that's pretty high income tax rate. So you've got a federal tax rate. Do you know about where you are on that? We're like upper middle class, so nothing too crazy. Okay. So, yes, that state income tax might tilt you towards doing a traditional instead of doing a Roth version, particularly since when you retire, your intention is to retire in a zero income tax state. That's correct, yep. Yeah, so you would be an exception potentially to what I normally talk about, which is the great advantage of having the after-tax retirement money instead of the pre-tax retirement money. 
and you could split the difference a little. Are you allowed to do like a two-thirds, one-third mix? Yes, and that's completely up to, to me. And I mean, it's not matched. That's why I've been trying. I've been focusing mainly on the uh, the Roth IRA, just because I'm not getting as much out of it. Give uh-huh. me a little more flexibility. But in the 401k part, yes, it's you can kind of choose your own adventure. Well, if you're if you're doing the Roth and in the 401k, see, you're already you're already building up a pile of Roth money. Whatever you put in the 401k, because the the tipping point is paying the 9% state income tax plus federal, I would say, yeah, go uh, pre-tax in the 401k, and that does split the difference and gives you your two piles of money. What? Sounds good. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Most important thing is you never feel ripped off by me. And that's why I need for you, not me, to have the last word. What do I mean by that? You know, this is all about serving you. And if I don't serve you well, that's not any good for me or for you, obviously. And so I need feedback from you. That's why on our website, we have Clark.com slash Clark Stinks, where you can go post where you feel I gave bad information, wrong information, or have a terrible opinion, or even gave bad advice to someone or incomplete advice. So you go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks, post your unhappiness, others can read it, others can comment on it, they can agree, disagree with you, and then weekly our producer Krista goes through your posts and shares as many as she can with you right here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. You are giving very poor advice concerning programmable thermostats. One, there is no smart thermostat that can be purchased for $150, much less installed. Two, up to 25% savings is a ridiculous statement. Three, in a home built after 1996, it is cheaper to leave thermostat on on constant temperature than to let it warm up during the day and try to cool down in the evening. Residential air conditioning is all about humidity control and nothing else, and it only dehumidifies when running. Also, it doesn't cost much to operate today's air conditioners. The cost is starting up the A.C., which is about 45 to 59 amps. All high electric bills in the summer are due to poor insulation and subpar installation of the ductwork. John. John, thank you for your post. And let's start with the last things you said first. That is completely true, is that most of us end up wasting most of our cooling power through improper installation or poor ductwork. And just as an annex, before I go on to what you said about the, the thermostats, is that the new air conditioning systems, which I'm seeing appear more and more in commercial settings and in hotels, but not seeing in residential settings, are ones that have three times the efficiency of what we're used to and work without ductwork. So people's electricity bills fall for cooling 
by two-thirds with these new systems. And people don't even know they're out there or to look for them. On the thing about the thermostats, the thermostats routinely now, uh, the computer-controlled ones, are down to $150 or less. Nest now has a discount version that often is less than $150. So the dominant in the fancy thermostat market. Uh, as for whether it saves you money on your bill, I can only go by what I have read over the years that you will save a substantial amount of money when no one is home, which these thermostats can sense, dialing the temperature up, not the air off, but dialing it up. And that's the key is that you don't turn it off and then turn it back on, but that you still have it at a reasonable temperature, which will provide a lot of the humidity control you're talking about. I can't say this is a stinky moment, but I was disappointed when it happened as I don't, didn't know the full story of this scam. You had taken a caller from a police officer who was calling to bring light to some elderly being taken advantage of. When you asked if there was anything else that he might want to shed light on, he started to bring up the check cashing scam. And just as the caller was about to explain how it was done, you jumped all over him, I'm sure out of excitement, and said, the old fake cash check deposit thing, cutting him off and not letting us hear how the scam worked. I went and Googled it after, but my thoughts when things like this happen are that not everyone has experience when some of the assumed common issues happen. Therefore, it's best to repeat some things over and over to make sure they are heard by all. Thanks for your service, and thanks for allowing us to share our feedback with you. Andrew. Andrew, thank you. And let me explain the situation that happened in that case. This doesn't affect podcasters, but it affects those who listen to our radio show, and that is that we have certain times we have to hit what are known as network breaks, and there was not time to let the second part of that call breathe because we had to go to a scheduled network break, and that's why I had to just kind of quickly wrap that up. And so I apologize that we didn't get a... a chance for the officer to restate what was going on in that particular scam. All right. Um, And when you talked about uh, modified SAT criteria and free college or or reduced tuition at college, we had a lot of posts about that. So I've got three here. First one, I've been working two jobs to help pay for my child's schooling. My W-2 shows lots of money but it's about 65 to 70 hours a week, and you want free school for children because their family can't afford it. Work harder, and maybe the child will do the same, Peter. And I say no to the modified SAT criteria and no to Clark's idea concerning reduced or free tuition for certain students who may come from impoverished or disadvantaged backgrounds. I'm against them because they are inherently subjective and arbitrary, and the government would surely apply arbitrary factors. Um, And that one was from Pete. And then the third one is, you propose making a college education available to everyone. As it says in Ecclesiastes, under the sun, there is nothing new. Huey Long did this many years ago. Anyone who graduated high school could go to LSU. This prompted a catchy lyric by Randy Newman. College men from LSU, when in dumb, come out dumb too. You had to make your grades or you were gone. Such a waste of taxpayer money. College education is fast approaching the point of not being worth the money. 
Making it available to all will seal the deal. I will give you this. College for everyone sounds so nice. Great in theory, nightmare in reality. I love your show even when you stink. Philip. Philip and the others who posted about this. Okay, so for most of American history, if somebody came up poor, there was a great chance that through initiative, hard work, effort, that they could live a very different life than they were born into. Today, education's become a big dividing line in American society. If you look statistically, people with a college degree have much lower unemployment numbers than people without a college degree, and people with a college degree earn a great deal more over their working lifetime than people without a college degree. Now, again, these are averages. There can be someone who has a college degree who can't earn a decent living. There can also be someone who only went to high school or even is high school dropout and is making a lot of money. So again, I'm only talking about averages. So I like the idea of some of the initiatives around the country that make it possible for someone, regardless of background, to be able to go to some level of college at a greatly reduced rate or free. Tennessee has done so with um, with certain parts of its education system beyond high school. South Carolina has done so. Georgia has done so. And I think this is something you'll see in more and more states around the country where employers are looking for a more knowledgeable workforce. And really, I think it's something where everybody wins. I understand what it's like because I write those tuition checks for my daughter in college to just have to pay that and it hurts and I just got a tuition increase notice for a sophomore year not excited about that tuition increase but I can afford to pay it I feel really badly for these college students who are homeless who are trying as hard as they can to get through college and we have to create an opportunity for people who come from very poor backgrounds to be able to achieve. And today that does require education. In all the frequent discussions you have about trip insurance, it's important that you distinguish between trip cancellation and baggage insurance and full trip insurance that includes health insurance. Usually you're only talking about the former, while international travelers should be very concerned about the latter. I have a big international trip coming up. I'm not so concerned about the cost of the trip or canceling, but I am concerned about potentially having a medical issue. Therefore, I did research, purchased a comprehensive policy that covers pretty much every medical situation and also includes far superior cancellation delay baggage coverage than my travel credit cards, and it cost me less than $100 for my 10-day trip. Well worth it for the peace of mind, Scott. Scott, thank you for that post, and I need to explain again that many of us have health coverage that stops when we leave the United States. And if you travel overseas and you don't buy a a health policy, a travel health policy or medical policy or whatever, you're left exposed far away from home with an injury or an illness. And so this is great advice from our post here. 
Hi, Clark. You recently had a caller who was concerned about the use of their DNA data from 23andMe, which is a valid concern. You noted 23andMe now provides the option to receive a report only on ancestry and not health data. However, where you went off the rails was suggesting to them that by choosing the ancestry-only option, somehow that alleviated their concerns. That is wrong. As a geneticist, I can almost guarantee you that 23andMe analyzes each sample they receive the same way. That is, they sequence your entire genome. They will then have that information stored somewhere in perpetuity. And further, they have the right to use it in any of a variety of studies as detailed in the waiver you have to agree to when you sign up. The only thing that's different is the report that they send to the consumer. For the ancestry price, they will only send the ancestry results, even though they generated the data for your health results as well. In fact, I looked on their website and it was true. Thanks and keep up the great work, John. John, thank you for taking the time to review that. I think that's really helpful to other people. And we have an area here where the value of this information could be fantastic to have, but in the wrong hands, that information could be used in terrible ways, including by the insurance industry. I've actually listened to your show daily for over 20 years, but you gave a recent caller smelly advice as as opposed to helping them save more and avoid getting ripped off. You told them most people don't like to sell their cars via private party, and that then went on to give advice on how to get bids from dealers. Since when do you give advice on money based solely on what people most like or don't like? Most people don't like to invest. Most people don't like to take a portion of their paycheck and save it. In fact, most people don't like to get their advice that potentially costs them thousands of dollars. Why put the dollar difference between what your car's market value is and what a dealer will pay for it into somebody else's pocket? How about the next time you give them advice on easy ways to market and sell it via private party so as to maximize their car's value? Love your show and most of your advice, Stephen. Stephen, I appreciate that. And so I was, in answer to that, I was thinking about exactly what you said, that 80% of people, most people, aren't willing to deal with selling a vehicle themselves. So I was trying to give a methodical process to be able to get the most money selling your car versus just going to a dealer and and they'll tell you what they'll pay you in trade in and you're right i should have also explained the process for selling a car yourself which i just glossed right over and i appreciate all your posts when you feel that my information has been incomplete or wrong please go to clark.com slash clark stinks and let me know this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
Dave is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Dave. How are you doing? Hey, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely, Dave. You are in a great situation because you have debt, but you also have money. Yes. What's the story exactly? Well, I've got about 70000 left on my mortgage, and I have about 90000 in my savings. And my monthly payments are about $1,200, and that's including my, the interest and escrow. And i got about five years left on that, and I'm wanting to retire in a couple of years. So should I pay it off now, pay some of it, or just um, let it ride? So if you wipe out all but 20000 in your savings, what kind of cushion in terms of months of living expenses? Figuring I, I at that have, point I you have, have no mortgage... What kind of, how many months could you ride on 20 grand if you suddenly had no income coming in? I, I have other means. I have 401ks and, and laggers coming in, so I'm not too worried about that. Oh, then blow out the mortgage. Okay. Because even okay. if you're at a very low mortgage interest rate, it's yeah, I'm about three and a quarter. Which is such a great rate, and normally I would say, yeah, you don't want to rush to pay that off you're earning uh, less than that on your savings. Right. And so it just seems to make sense. The savings that you're having to pay tax on, the earnings it has, and the mortgage interest at the level you have, you're probably taking the standard deduction. You're getting no tax benefit from paying interest on the loan. So I would have that mortgage burning party and pay that thing off. You'll have to pay them at the lender for a payoff letter, which is a uh-huh. ripoff fee when you get rid of a mortgage. Pay them their ripoff fee and be done with that loan. Okay. Well, that's kind of what I was thinking, too, and the wife and I was thinking that. So just wanted to hear it from you. Uh, like I said, I listen to you in the mornings when I'm driving to work, and we just want to get another opinion. Well, it'll feel great, and then the best part is every month a certain amount of that twelve hundred is has been going to um, taxes and insurance, as you said, escrowing. Yes. So you won't save all that twelve hundred, but you certainly could probably save maybe what a thousand dollars a month yes. starts to replenish the savings. And the thing yes. I would consider doing with that is I would consider doing a Roth IRA for each of you. Okay. And build up some Roth money, which is tax-free money you'll be able to use well down the road in retirement. And so it builds up another reserve of money for you that all the earnings you'll have over the years, even in retirement, will be tax-free. Okay, so taking the the money I would be using for a payment and and create a Roth for each each of us. Exactly. And do it with one of the low-cost companies that I've got on my investment guide. Right. And then just slap that money in the Roth, and it makes the money so productive for you as you look through the years ahead, and you've got something that's now a tax-free source of funds that's totally flexible for when you might need it. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.